today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. So God kept his covenant with them through it all. The sins of Abraham did not delete the promise of God. The sins of Moses did not negate the promises of God. The sins of David and his sons did not invalidate what God had promised through his word and through his actions. And beloved, that ought to be comfort for every one of us. Because God remains true. Even when we are unfaithful, what does the word say? He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. There was no sin our forefathers committed that kept the Lord from keeping his covenants with them. In his message today, Pastor David gives reassurance that likewise, there is nothing you can do that will negate God's promises to you. No matter how you act, God is faithful to keep his word. Despite generation after generation of failures, God continues to fulfill His promises to those who repented in His name. Let this message be a reminder to come before our Lord and repent of your sin today. Now here's Pastor David in the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles as he begins his message, A Second Viewpoint. that series of going through the Bible in about a year, and I've titled this series, The Beginning, The End, The New Beginning, because one of the things that we see all through Scripture, God begins, there comes an end of that season, and then all of a sudden it starts again, there'll come the end of that season, it starts again, started in the garden, we see it all through, again, the the time of uh, Noah, the flood, all those things. God working in individual lives. Many of you have even experienced that in your own life. Times and seasons of the Lord working and moving in your life. The one thing we do know is God ain't finished with us yet. Amen? Amen. As long as we're sitting here, as long as we're sucking air, he's not done with us yet. Now, one of the things I want you to look at tonight and I want you to be thinking about, there's no doubt that two people viewing the exact same event will probably describe that with a little bit of variance. And again, it's not going to be exact unless they've uh, worked together and rehearsed their stories. And again, uh, uh, attorneys know that when they go to trial. You know, if they're exactly the same, there's been a little bit of collusion there. So again, when when you look at the same thing, two different people, there's going to be some change. Now, if one of those individuals has a certain agenda then their view of that event may be drastically different. If both of them have opposing agendas, then their viewpoints are going to be totally different in a major, major way. And you're going to wonder, wow, did they even see the same event? Because again, their desire is to 
push their agenda. We see that all the time. We see that in our own nation. We see that politically. We see that in, in just about every realm. And again, uh, we're, we're seeing it more and more. We see it on the, on the daily news reports. My son-in-law, actually his doctoral thesis was this very thing of how the same event written in newspapers from different viewpoints can be just so totally, so totally different and so opposing in so many ways. Well, now we are in First and Second Chronicles we're going to be looking at tonight, and we're going to quickly see that the events and many of the, the names of most of what we saw in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, we're going to find here in First and Second Chronicles. But what we're also going to find out is in most of the cases, some of the information is, yeah, it will be the same. There's going to be a whole lot of the information. Wow, that, that seems to be lacking in there. They're, they're telling a, a different side of the story. And again, what I want you to understand tonight, it's not that uh, one is telling the truth, one is telling a lie. But what is going on is one is telling from one viewpoint and one understanding, while the other is coming from another viewpoint and another understanding. Now, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you might think that someone was purposefully trying to hide something in these, again, even as we look particularly at First and Second Chronicles. But that's not the case. That's not what's going on. What we read and what we see as we compare the Chronicles with the histories of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, again, is a clear viewpoint in Chronicles of someone who is telling the event from the perspective of a religious or spiritual viewpoint. Whereas when we look at First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, it's more of a secular or military viewpoint. There's a lot of things that they bring out in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings that we don't see at all in Chronicles. There's a lot of things in Chronicles that we don't see at all, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. So I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that as we, we go through these books. And even in your own personal reading, you might be reading, oh yeah, I'm familiar with this story. I, I read this story in, in, in Samuel or in, in, in Kings. And then all of a sudden you read it in Chronicles and say, well, wait. Man, they left out a whole lot of good information here. Well, again, it's the reason and the purpose. It's not that they're trying to hide in Chronicles. Israel knows their story. Israel, believe me, Israel knows their history. Israel knows their failings and, and the failings of their leaders. So there's nothing really that they're going to be hiding here. It's just from a different perspective and for a different purpose. Now, Chronicles covers pretty much the same, same time frame as the the books of Samuel and the book of Kings. And it covers from about 1000 BC, the beginning of the reign of Saul, until the taking of the, the exiles into Babylon around 500 BC or so. And again, when we look at this, we, we move into these, uh, these whole situations, a, a continual turnover of kings as the kingdom splits from being one united Israel to then being a divided country with the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. So um, we're going to be looking at this and I understand that as we get into the opening passages of this, there are a lot of names, 
a lot of names. And unless you are really into something like Ancestry.com or looking through, again, the history of your, your family life, you're, you're probably going to get a little bogged down in those first nine chapters of First Chronicles, nine chapters of names and names and names and names and names and names and some more names after that. Now, if you're a really a student of the word, you could go through there, and some of those names are going to pop out at you, and you say, oh, yeah, I know who that, I know the story behind that. And so it can really be interesting, it can be exciting on that end. But if you're just trying to read through in your daily, live, uh, your daily reading, man, I read three chapters today and I have no clue what I read. It's because it's just a lot of names. And to you and I, that may not seem to be very important at all. But if you are a people that counts your heritage as precious, counts your heritage as very powerful, counts your heritage as something to hold on to and and see the importance of it, man, you want to make sure that your family is listed in there. You want to make sure that your ancestors are listed in there. And so it does become very important, both as a book of uh, religious record and history, that information that's found in those nine chapters, all those names, all those families, very, extremely valuable. And again, that's why the Lord led men to write these things down, again, as a permanent witness of the family trees of each of those families that are listed. Primarily, we see the names and the families of those that that are of major importance. We get into the names of all the kings and stuff. But when you look at the very beginning, who does it start out with? Starts out with Adam. He goes back to the very beginning. And again, what a great understanding that is for you and I when we begin the book of Chronicles to understand that there is a background, there is a basis, there is a foundation for all that the Lord is going to show us through this book, through these two books, which were actually just as First and Second Samuel were originally one book, First and Second Kings, one book, First and Second Chronicles were one book. They were divided later on down the line. We look at this. And it's not just an ancient version of Ancestry.com. It's not just a court document that lists the heritage of of kings and and families. If you look at it that way, and if you think of it just as that way, you'll really miss the point. This was more than anything else. And this is what I want you to catch out of this. This was God's record of his faithfulness to the people that he called. God's faithfulness to his people, going all the way back to Adam and his family and moving all the way forward. He called them not because of any merit on their own. And we we don't have to go too far in the list to realize, man, there's some rascals in there. There's some guys that really blew it in there. There's some families that were totally off the ranch at that point in time in their life. And yet God was still going to use them and God still had a purpose for them. And you know what? That kind of gives me hope. That, That gives me hope to realize, you know, he's not looking for perfection. His promise remains true. 
and he will remain true in the midst of all of these things. He called them not because of merit, but in order that he would be able to make his name and his character known to the rest of the world. Why did he call that little nation of Israel insignificant? Because he wanted that insignificance of that nation to declare the greatness of who he is to all of the world. Chronicles gives us, again, a written record of God's faithfulness, not only beginning at Adam, but speaking of the Abrahamic covenant that was given, the Mosaic covenant that was given, the Davidic covenant that was given. God promises and he fulfills. God promises and he fulfills. God promises and he fulfills. And we find in these books how God worked and he moved through generation after generation to make his promises sure and through people who were anything but faithful. We can look at that, each one of these main covenant relationships with Abraham, with with Moses, and with David. All of them, there were faults, there were failures in their lives. But God had made covenant with them. God had promised them. And so God kept his covenant with them through it all. The sins of Abraham did not delete the promise of God. The sins of Moses did not negate the promises of God. The sins of David and his sons did not invalidate what God had promised through his word and through his actions. And beloved, that ought to be comfort for every one of us because God remains true. Even when we are unfaithful, what does the word say? He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Since Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, is a religious or it's a spiritual record of the people and the, primarily of the rulers of, of Israel, the main point of view is going to come with this, with this temple mindset, this understanding, again, of the greatness of who God is, the worship and the majesty. And certainly the temple was not built here at the beginning. It was built later on as Solomon came into play. But when we start looking through the whole thing, the, the, the emphasis that we keep drawing back to, what's going on at the temple? What's happening at the temple? Is there true worship at the temple or is there perversion in the temple? Have they brought holiness and righteousness into the temple or have they brought in the idols and the pagan worship into the temple? Because the temple told the story of what was going on within the lives of both the rulers as well as the people. And after only touching very slightly on the life of and the reign of Saul, the first king of Israel, we start actually out in chapter 10. So see, we're already up to chapter 10. We're going to blow right through this thing. Look at chapter 10 of 1 Chronicles, if you would. In chapter 10, we read of the death of Saul and his humiliation before the Philistines. The end of his life and his reign are pretty much simply stated there at the end of chapter 10. Uh, Beginning in verse 13, we read, So Saul, the first king, died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. Now let me pause right there because I've been saying, But God remains faithful even when we're unfaithful. Now we read, no, Saul died because of his unfaithfulness. What was it about Saul's life? There was never any repentance in Saul's life. 
Saul continued on against the things of God all the way to his death. Some people might say, well, was Saul, quote unquote, to put in our New Testament language, was Saul saved? Well, we'll find out when we get there, right? God used Saul. Saul failed a lot. Saul ended his life in unrepentance, non-repentance that we know of. I, again, look at situations like this, and I have to throw up my hands and say, you know what? God knows. God knows. Well, the testimony of his life is definitely not of one who truly knew the Lord. Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. Remember the the witch of Endor that he went to, to find and find out what was going on to raise Samuel to get guidance. Verse 14, but he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore he, the Lord, killed him. And he turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. The Lord killed him. Yeah, I think the Lord would do that too. I think the Lord is more than able to do that, to take us out rather than for us to continue to bring down his name. Because again, that is the power of God. The chronicler then moves from that short two verses of the end of Saul's life. And then he goes into chapter 11 And then he continues on with David, actually on through the end of 1 Chronicles. So again, we see a whole lot about David, but not very much about Saul. Without much other detail, in chapter 11, we read how David and his men, through the leadership of Joab, defeated the Jebusites. They conquered the city of Jerusalem. And as David took up residence in the city, which would later be called the city of David, we read in verse 9, then David went out and he became great and the Lord of hosts was with him. God was with David. And we know, we know the story of David. You know, we've gone through First, Second Samuel and Kings. We, we know the story of, of what's taken place. We know that David wasn't perfect, but we also see in the midst of that, God working and moving in this man who had a love for God who had, again, the the desire of his heart was for God. Stumbled along the way? Absolutely. The balance of chapter 11 gives us the names and some of the exploits of some of David's mighty men. And then in chapter 12, we read about a host of others that came to David with this desire to fight alongside him uh, for the people of Israel. Well, while David was still running from Saul, while still still alive, they do a little backup here, some of the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin was Saul's tribe. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, some from that tribe came to David while he was hiding out in Ziglag. And again, we see that at the beginning there of chapter 12. And Chronicles points out specifically that these guys were skilled with both the right hand and the left hand with shooting bows and hurling stones. So they could pitch with their right hand or their left hand. Uh, they, they could shoot a bow, uh, an arrow, with their right hand or their left hand. Pretty handy warriors to have. Along with them, we read down in verse 8, if you would, say that some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. These were mighty men of valor, men men trained for battle, 
who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Now, what does the face of a lion look like? Did these guys just have like massive hair on their face? Or was there just that determination? You look at that guy, you're gonna get scared just looking at him. They were mighty warriors. And they, he says that they were fast like gazelles. Man, so these are the kind of guys you want alongside of you. And the Lord kept adding to David's forces. Now he's been anointed king by Samuel. But remember, he hasn't taken the place of king yet at this point. An interesting event happened when some of the other warriors, actually from the tribe of Benjamin and from Judah, uh, came to join David. Look down in verses 16 through 18. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 16. It says that some of the men of, or the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold and David went out to meet him and answered and said to them, if you've come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if to betray me to my enemies, since there's no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. And then verse 18, the spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains. And he says to David, we are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you and peace to your helpers for your God helps you. So David received them and made them captains of the troop. So these guys came, the spirit of God came on this one guy. He said, no, David, man, peace to you. We are for you because we see God's working in your life. These are guys, again, from the tribe of Benjamin, part of Saul's extended family, and from the tribe of Judah. Again, powerful warriors that came, captains, it says. And so David says, okay, if you're for me, I'll make you captains in my army, leaders within my troop. There in chapter 13, we move along, we read again of the bringing of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Uh, now, by this time, David is king. And they, they come to the point in understanding, and said, man, we need to get the Ark back from where it was dropped off after the Philistines got rid of it. We need to get it back now. We need to bring it into Jerusalem. We read that through that whole situation, the death of Uzzah as he touched the ark and David's fear and even David's anger towards the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question right here, right now. We're gonna take a little sidebar here for a moment. This is just between you and I, okay? Nobody's looking around. You ever get mad at God? Yeah, I have. I got mad at God, and I went for about three and a half years on a, on a wild journey in my life. This is after I was a Christian, after I'd been in ministry. I got mad at God because he didn't answer my prayer the way that I had wanted him to. And it was a pretty significant thing within our family. I mean, it was a major deal. We don't have time to get into it tonight. But, man, I got mad at God. I walked away. The great thing was is the patience of God. Amen? Amen. And... He, he just kind of reeled me back in a little bit at a time, just taking a little bit of tension off the pole, reeling me in a little bit at a time. He brought me back to himself. Whenever I read things like this, David feared God and he was angry both at the same time. There's stuff that God does that we don't understand. Open 
That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.